This is uh, part five of The Price of Freedom. And in this series, we've been talking about the importance of freedom, how vitally important freedom is to our human experience. And uh, we've been talking about Jesus who has come to set us free. He said, you shall know the truth, the the truth shall set you free. Whom the Son shall make free will be truly free. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And one of the freedoms that we talked about in the beginning was freedom from fear, that God doesn't want his children to be terrorized, living in fear, that the just shall live by faith. And so God has made a provision for us to be free from fear. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and of a sound mind. Then one of the other things that we talked about was that he has given us the Ability to be free from guilt and condemnation. Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Not now, never will there be condemnation, guilt, shame laid upon the children of God who trust in Jesus Christ. And we also spoke about being free from the power of sin, that sin shall no longer have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace, that the power of indwelling sin has been broken over our lives through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And last week, I believe we spoke about freedom from uh, the striving of legalism as a means of trying to win acceptance and approval with God. And so we have been set free. This morning, I want to talk to you about a freedom that is is probably an ultimate freedom, maybe, maybe something that you've never thought about before, uh, but, it, but it really elevates the mission of Jesus to, to the ultimate uh, setting free, not only the children of God, but the very creation itself, that creation itself will be brought into the glorious uh, experience of liberty. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Next week, what, I, what I'd like to do is wrap up this series by talking about the actual, <clears throat> excuse me, price. We've been talking about the freedoms that the price has, has bought, but I thought a great way of just ending this series would be to talk about the actual price itself. And so that's what we'll do next week. But, but this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to just get a, a panoramic view for a moment of where we're going in this message. So I'm going to read about six verses of Scripture, come back a little later on after we've laid a little foundation, but, but we'll unpack it then. But, but right now, I just want you to get the flavor of where we're going, okay? So Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. What what, what an amazing, you know, I, I like to save the word epic 
for things that are really epic, and this is really epic, so I'm going to say this is really epic. You know, there's nothing greater on God's calendar than the verses that I've just read to you. The ultimate liberation of the sons of God and the creation itself from its present decay, and we'll we'll break that down in a little while. But let me ask you this. How many of you, a number of years ago, it actually came out in December 2009, but it was very popular. How many, just by hands, let me just say, how many of you have seen the movie Avatar? Can I, can I see your hands? Yeah, the majority of you have seen the movie Avatar. In fact, in the first month, in the first month of the release of that film, it sold $1.3 billion in ticket sales. That's a lot of money in one month. And, and I don't even know what the statistic is several years later after it's come out on DVD and, and, and all that other stuff. But, but listen, What's interesting about this, right, is it's, for those of you who haven't, let me just fill you in a little bit. It's, a, it's a, an event that takes place on a far away planet called Pandora. And it's uh, got the inhabitants, are these natives called the Navi, they're seven feet tall people, or not people, I guess beings, right? And they're seven feet tall, and they're, they're peace-loving, gentle people, Right? And uh, the, the, the kind of subplot of this is that there's a, uh, there's a marine by the name of Sully. Now, now, there are human beings on the planet who are in search for this very rare mineral. And what happens is that skirmishes kind of break out and ultimately war breaks out. And the subplot is that, is that th- this guy, Sully, this marine who's, who's operating an artificial alien body, right, falls in love with the Navi princess, and they work together to, to, to battle against the, uh, uh, the, the, the ruthless human beings, right? So, so, so th- this, is the, this is the story, right? And, and it takes place in beautiful settings, right? Now, now, what's interesting about this is that days after uh, the release of this film, there were dozens and dozens and dozens of, of websites fan sites dedicated to the, the movie Avatar. And, and many of the sites, and, and I wanted to share a couple of the thoughts that appear on the sites. One of the, one of the sites itself, you, you search this by getting there or this way, or you got there this way by, by making a search for this. Ways to cope with the depression of the dream of Pandora being intangible. Okay, so let me, let me read to you a couple of the postings that were on these forums where fans were expressing the effects that the film Avatar had on them. When I woke up this morning, after watching Avatar for the first time yesterday, the world seemed gray, wrote one fan. It was like my whole life, everything I've done and worked for lost its meaning. Another wrote, The day after I saw Avatar, I was completely depressed. I looked at my hands and I thought, what I wouldn't give. Going and seeing Avatar again and again makes me feel good. I love Pandora. Not just a spur-of-the-moment feeling. I legitimately love all of Pandora. And waking up in this world afterwards is extremely hard to do. These are some of the comments, many of the comments that are expressing kind of discouragement and depression after having, having seen the movie and then having to wake up in the reality of this world. So many people express ba- basically the unhappiness that they have with their own lives in this, 
and this desire for this better, better place, this better world that really does not exist. Now, I, I got to tell you, I don't find fault with those comments. Listen, we all, we, I want, you want, we all want a, a better world in which to live in, right? I don't find fault with those comments, but what I do is I feel terribly sad or sorrowful for those people who do not know the scriptures that we just read a few moments ago and what God has promised to those that love him. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it even entered into the hearts of men. The wonderful things that God has in store to those that love him, but God has revealed them unto us by the Spirit. There is an unfolding of God's plan that goes way beyond, listen, the, the technicolor, the magnificence of, of the film Avatar. How, how many, let me ask you this question. How many have ever been to the Grand Canyon? You guys see your hand? There's quite a few. Just, just the Grand Canyon, right? The reason why they call it grand is because it's grand, you know? It's, it's this grandeur, you know, when you stand before it. I mean, you, you, you know, you have to close your mouth after a while. The flies will get it because it's so awesome, right? How, how many of you ever heard the thundering roar of the Niagara Falls, right? Cool, cool, right? Did you know that there are 22 and a half million people that visit the falls every year, that it's been ranked one of the five wonders of the world, you know? Uh, there's a reason for it. Listen, how many of you have ever been on, online at Six Flags for more than an hour, maybe about an hour, just to ride, just to, just to get the thrill of, of, of experiencing the ride that lasted three minutes or less, right? Many of you, right? What is it about us? We were wired for this. We were created by a creator who made us to be enthralled. God designed us this way to be fascinated, to, be, to, 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 to behold greatness, to see beauty, to love, to, to love that which is, which is glorious. God made us this way. And we will not be satisfied until, until all that God has prepared for us comes to pass. Have you ever... Have you ever gotten into uh, a car with your family, you know, your road trip, right? Road trip, you know. Uh, today, uh, you guys, you know, you, you program your smartphone, you know. Back in the day when my kids were small, we, we had this thing called maps. They were made out of paper. You had to go to college to read one and to fold and unfold one, especially to, to fold it back to the way it was before, you know, uh, we, 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 we didn't have easy pass. We had a bag full of coins, you know? But, but, but no, listen, and no, matter how, no matter how technologically cool or savvy we become, the four most dreaded words on a, on a road trip, usually coming from the back seat, always coming from the back seat, is, anybody know? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. We didn't leave the driveway yet. Do you ever wonder why do we call why do we park on driveways and drive on parkways? I just just something to think about. All right, all of these things, right? All of these things, right? The, the Grand Canyon, the the, the Niagara Falls, uh, the, the being fascinated, the thrill of of a three minute ride. All of these things really are uh, 
Let's see, Philip Yancey says, there are rumors of another world. C.S. Lewis said, there are echoes of the world that is to come. Echoes of the world that is to come. Now, I don't know about you, but, but there, there are times in my life when I feel like a little kid, and, I, and, and I'm saying to my Heavenly Father who's taken me on a journey, are we there yet? Are we there yet? See, we were made by God for God. And we were, we, we were made by God for God to be thrilled and to be, and to be enthralled and to behold beauty and to see all that which is glorious. And, and I tell you what, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He says, he says, you know what? He says, these things are more than just rumors of the world which is to come. He, he calls them advanced echoes. And this is, what he, this is what he wrote. He said, flashes of beauty and pangs of aching sweetness are not the thing itself. In other words, these are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found and the echo of a tune we have not heard. The scent of a flower but we haven't found it. We, we can only sense it. The, the echo of a tune that, that we've not fully heard. I think it's amazing what God has in store to those that love him. Have you ever felt like Paul the Apostle? You know, he says, I'm like a man stuck between a rock and a hard place, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Isn't there a longing in our hearts for, for, for that which is much better to be with Christ? That's what Paul was saying. He says, I want out of here. But, but I understand that for me to stay in the body is to stay in the service for Christ. So for me to live is Christ. But to die is gain. And I, and I can't wait. I can't wait to leave, to put off this corruption and to, be, to, to put on incorruption, to... For, for this mortality to experience immortality. An elderly gentleman was in bed with his wife and he reached over and he gave her a good morning kiss. And she said, don't touch me, I'm dead. He says, what are you talking about? He says, we're here in bed, I'm talking to you, you're talking to me, you're not dead. She said, oh yes, I'm dead, I'm sure of it. He says, how could you be so sure she says, when I woke up, I didn't have any pain. Now, if you reach a certain age, you know what I'm talking about. You see, because when you reach a certain age and you wake up in the morning and you don't experience pain, you might think you are dead, or at least in another world. You see, pain is a reminder to us that we're not there yet that we haven't experienced yet the redemption of our bodies. Picture a man, right, who wants to create a suit for himself. So, so he has something in mind. He has a design in mind. He, he has a fabric in mind, a color in mind, a style in mind. You know, uh, all of those things go into the desire to have a suit, to create a suit for, for oneself, you know. Uh, I found out, well, not I found out, I realized 
that my mother and father actually met. They were both seamstress. They, they both worked together in a place where they sewed, you know? Uh, that's just, just, just thought you might like to know that. Uh, but, right, so, 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 so what, is, what does he do next, right? He measures his arms. He measures his inseam. He measures his, his neck. He measures his chest size. He, he takes measurements of himself because the goal, is, the, the goal is to be able to fit into the suit that he makes. Before God said, let there be light, God had a goal in mind. God had a purpose in mind. All things were made by him and for him and for his purpose they were made. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 7 what that purpose was. I I love this. Listen to this. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness in Christ Jesus. Now, we're, we're just living in this age, but there are ages, endless ages to come. And in the endless ages, in the, in, the, in the endless time, God will be showing us the exceeding greatness of his kindness toward us after one age after another. It will always get better, and it will always get better. While I was working on this message, I kept singing this particular song that we sometimes sing here at the church. This, this one line kept going over and over in my mind. And it says, I could see a light that is coming for the heart that holds on, a glorious light beyond all compare. There will be an end to these troubles. But until that day comes, we'll live to know you here on the earth. And that's, that, that's both an expression of our resolve to know God, to, to serve God, but also there's that longing in our heart, God, are we there yet? See, he doesn't get angry at us the way we might get angry at the little kids in the back of the car for, God to, for, for, for us to say to God, even so come, Lord Jesus. You know, are, are we there yet is God's purpose for us in this scripture that, that we just shared, and I'm going to break it apart a little bit as we, as we look at it once again. But I want you to know this, that God's intention, that we understand what's going on here, is so that he would create a solid rock beneath our feet so that we can stand in, in a world that's not Pandora, in a world that is sometimes filled with troubles, filled with difficulties, and filled with sorrow that we would be able to have a faith and a hope that supersedes any of life's experiences. Because an end to the troubles has not come yet. Even for those that are in Christ Jesus, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, he delivers us out of them all. I believe the Holy Spirit's design in this is to make us unmovable in our faith and hope in Christ. The same Holy Spirit that moved in Genesis 1-2, moved upon the face of the, of, the, of the waters, moved upon the chaos of what the earth was then and made out of it a lush paradise. That same Holy Spirit has inspired this portion of Scripture so that we could get a glimpse of a glory, a glorious light beyond all compare. So let's look at those verses one more time this morning. Verse 18 says, For I consider that our present sufferings 
are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What I want you to notice first is that Paul is saying that there is a glory that is going to be revealed to not only to us, but in us. In other words, we're not just observing what God will do. We will be very much a part of what God is doing and what God shall do. That this glory is so affecting us that it is a glory that will shape us. You see, those whom God has called, he's also predestined that they should be conformed to the image of his son. And, and those whom God has called, he's also glorified. That is our destiny, beloved. And I, I know it's, it is epic. Verse 19 says that the creation waits in eager expectation. That's the universe. The sun and moon and stars. The galaxies. All of it. Creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. The word probably better translated is futility. It's a stronger word. It means that God has subjected, God has set up. Remember the man who's making the suit? He's purposed. He's, he has a design. He has a plan in mind. And that plan in mind is that even though this creation is amazing, it, it blows my mind when I think about some of the, the magnitude of the universe, yet God has set it in futility to no decay, to no corruption, to no erosion, to know that the universe is falling apart. But there's a purpose for it. It says not by its own choice. That is, it wasn't the choice of creation. It wasn't the choice of the, the existing physical universe. But by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. I want you to notice the last two words of that sentence, in hope. Those are the most important words in that verse. It's in hope that God has set this. It's in hope that God has established this. It's in hope that God has designed this. It is not hopelessness, the hopelessness of, of what we read in some of the comments or what I read in some of the comments of those who were disappointed with Avatar that it's not a real place. They were expressing hopelessness. No, we have a hope. Even though we're living in a universe that is eroding and is decaying and is falling apart, yet it came by divine design. Notice, I want you to notice that it wasn't that old serpent, the devil, who did it. It wasn't Adam who, who did it. They don't have the power or the ability to subject the universe to futility. The only one who can do that is God. And God did that as a judicial decree because of the enormity of sin. Now, one of the things that tells us right away is that sin is serious. Sin is enormous. It's horrific in God's sight. And as a result of that, there was a judicial decree that God set that the universe be subjected to this decay that death entered into our world. That death fell upon all men, for all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I want you to see that he did so in hope. And we're going to look at that hope. Verse 21 says that the creation itself, 
will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. What a glorious statement that is. There's a, there's a universal liberation that is coming to the universe. Not just the children of God being brought into the, into the manifestation of the sons of God or the revelation of the sons of liberty. No, no, no. The universe itself is going to come into this glorious liberation from futility and decay and corruption. Here, Paul, first thing he says is, I consider the present sufferings not worthy to be compared. This is a guy who wrote the book about suffering. He, know, he can tell you he can tell you stuff about suffering that you have never even imagined. Having been beaten with rods and stoned and, and, and being scourged. Just, just to mention some of the stuff that this guy. But look at his attitude. I mean, this is an invincible attitude. In spite of everything that he suffered, being persecuted for being an apostle, right? In another place, he says, he says these are light momentary afflictions that are actually working for us, listen, a far more exceeding weight of glory. Oh man, if you can understand that, listen, if you can understand, and listen, let me, let me say this, Paul is not just talking about suffering for the sake of the gospel, he's talking about all suffering. Everything that you've ever been through, every, every suffering that you've ever experienced, all of that is working it will only make it will only make this glorious liberty all the sweeter when we come into not just the scent of the the flower but when we experience all that God has created us to be paul places suffering in a global context suffering comes in this world because of sin, but Paul places it in a universal or a global context. But the, the hope is that there will be a universal deliverance out of the bondage of decay and corruption. And again, that meaning is that it was something God did judiciously. It was something that God did by a decree. It was something that God, it, it, it happened when, when, when God said, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And when they ate of the tree, death entered into the world. Not until that moment did death become a tyrant and rule in life. But the good news is, the gospel is, is that Jesus Christ has come. He has suffered and died and he's triumphed over death because he has suffered for us as us so that we might be delivered from this present corruption. This is so good. Verse 22 says this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're already sons of God. We're God has already adopted us, Galatians chapter 4. But what Paul is talking about there is the final the final adoption is the redemption of our bodies, having new bodies. 
being fashioned like unto his glorious body, these bodies that are sown in corruption, being raised incorruptible. What Paul is saying here is that this tyrant of futility doesn't inspire hope. In fact, in fact, it inspires the opposite. It, it, it inspires despair and, and, and cynicism and misery, except, except when God uses it to turn everything upside down on its head. And God will turn futility upside down on its head. Have not noticed the way God does that, the way, the way God doesn't do things the way we do things? The way God uses humility to, to bring exaltation? The, the, way, the, way, the, way, the way God uses and brings life out of death, uh, which is far more difficult than bringing life out of unlife. Think about that. Because to bring life out of unlife, God just created. But to bring life out of death, Jesus had to do something totally unique and totally different. So that he now lives by the power of an endless life. A human God slash man, never subject to death again. We will never be subject to death again. We will never be subject to sin or temptation when, when, when that which is complete has come, and it will be glorious, God turns futility upside down. What, 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 what Paul is saying here is that the present, the present sufferings, they're not worthy to be compared. That everything that we experience in this life that is, that is negative, that is, that is harmful to us, that is God will take those things and use it redemptively for our good. Paul is getting to that place in verse 28 where he says, and we know that God works all things together for our good, for those that are called according to his purpose. He does so for our good and for his glory. I love what Sam Storms wrote. Let me quote it to you. It says this, like Pharaoh in Exodus, God is enslaving the slave master for your sake. Futility will find itself just one more tyrant in redemptive history whose existence served to show that with God all things really are possible. It will serve redemptive history. Hope replaces despair. Captivity only heightens the sweetness of what we will experience, not for an age, but for endless ages, where God will show us the exceeding greatness of his kindness, the freedom that we long for, that, that desire that we have to be thrilled and enthralled and, and, and to just behold beauty. All, the, the reason why we do some of the things that we do is because God has wired us that way. And we will know in all satisfying beauty and grandeur. When we see him, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone that has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Jesus said, then shall the children shine like the sun in the kingdom of my father. We're going to need new eyes to behold that 
incomparable glory, that, that radiance. I, I suppose one of, the, one of the, the greatest pleasures that we have, one of the greatest enjoyments that we will ever have is to actually just see God, you know? It's, listen, it's more than a song lyric that we will see him face to face. It will be glorious when Jesus comes to be admired by his saints, when he comes to be marveled at, one translation says. When we, when we behold him, he, he, he will be more satisfying than 10,000 wonders the world has ever known. And that will come to pass. Thomas Watson said, eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset. Eternity to the lost is a night that has no sunrise. And I love this because Paul, Paul uses the allegory of childbirth to say, this is what's going on. The tornadoes, the hurricanes, the stuff that's happening, the floods that are taking place on planet Earth. All of these things are, are just childbirth. It's, it's labor pains. Now, now, can I just tell you, there is a world of difference between the cries that come from an oncology ward and the cries that come from a maternity ward. The cries, there are some cries that lead to death and there are some cries that lead to life. That's what Paul is saying, is that the cries, the groanings, the travail that is, that, that is taking place right now is all going to lead to life. We're, we're basically in the maternity ward of what God has in store to those who love him. And I love this allegory because he ends with, by saying in this portion, the redemption of our bodies. You know, the, the thing that that woman said to her husband, don't kiss me, I'm not dead because I, I don't feel any pain today. Th that thing that, listen, that we will experience new eyes, a new mind, New, new, new physical bodies to be able to enjoy. Listen, there'll be, there'll be no obstacles. And right now, if, if, if we saw God with these eyes, you know, like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, they'd melt, you know. Uh, we would melt. We, we, we could not support the glory. We, we, that's why we need glorified bodies because of what God has in store for us. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, I didn't have this up on the screen, but he said this. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, right? If I find a desire which there's no experience in this world can satisfy, then most probably the probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We were made for a world without sin, without sorrow, without pain without suffering. And that day is coming when, when, the one, when the one who said from the cross, it is finished, will say, behold, I make all things new. And there'll be no more sin and there'll be no more death and there'll be no more suffering and there'll be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Behold, I make all things new. That's the day. That's the day. That's the event on God's calendar. There's nothing greater than that. In the final scene, and this is, this is worth repeating again if you've heard this before. 
The final scene of Chronicles of Narnia. Aslan comforts Peter, Edmund, and Lucy with the following words. The term is over. The holiday has begun. The dream has ended. This is morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that happened to them after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And as for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now the at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. What is Lewis saying? That in order to put this life in perspective, we've got to set it side by side to the life that is to come. That's the only way that we can rightly discern this life by putting it side by side with the life which is to come. This is not the longest life that we will ever live. As Lewis goes on to say that this is just the title page and this is not the best life that we will ever live, but, but rather every chapter is better than the one before. But what is for sure is this, that this is perhaps the most important life that we have because it's in this life and in this time that we get to choose and we get to choose the gospel and we get to choose grace and we get to choose Christ as our Savior and that is the greatest choice that we could ever come to. My bottom line this morning is this, when we see him face to face, we will be complete and completely satisfied. When we see him face to face, we will be complete and completely satisfied. Going through hard times, going through difficulties, trials, afflictions, let Paul's view drop into your perspective. As you hold this life by comparison with, with the life which is to come. These are light, momentary afflictions that are working for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. All that we've experienced, and unfortunately, there are troubles in this life. Listen, if, 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 if you've ever been to a grave and you've ever buried a parent or buried a spouse, or even worse, buried a child, then, then, then you will know heartbreak. You will, we will all know heartbreak. But we who are trusting in Christ have an exceeding hope that exceeds and a joy that exceeds the greatest heartbreak. For we are not as those who have no hope or grieve as those that have no hope. But we've, see, we've got a glimpse of this. We've got a glimpse of what is to come, that this is on God's calendar, and it's coming. We're rushing toward it. Every day we're getting closer.
whether it's on God's calendar or our own personal calendar. And for one, I'll tell you, life is really short. Life is really short. So for those of us who know Jesus, we've got to make the most out of this life. Serve him because, because you love him. But take every opportunity to grab and to reach as many people as you can for Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're not in a relationship with Christ, can I, can I just offer you this simple invitation that if, if you want a part of this future that is glorious beyond all compare, you can have it. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. Not, not a single one of us. But we are just as if we had never sinned because of the righteousness of Christ. It's a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. If you will receive a gift, how do you receive a gift? You accept it or reject it. And so this morning, if you would just pray with me. If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you, would you be willing to say to him right now in your own words, Jesus, I receive you into my heart and life. I accept you as Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and my experiences. Be, be the Lord of my heart. I thank you for having died on the cross for me and for having suffered, paid the price for my salvation. And so, Father, we, we, we thank you this morning. And I want to I pray for those of us who are strong followers of Christ, those of us who've been walking with the Lord maybe for many years, maybe we just started maybe six months ago. doesn't matter. I, I pray, Father, that these today, will just be encouraged uh, with this message this morning, that their hearts will be stirred, that there is a hope and an expectation that we have. Th th this is not a false hope. This is reality, and the reality shall come to pass because, God, you are not one that should lie. And so we live by every promise that precedes every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we thank you for that together.